The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End. This is Adam Leventhal, the Athletics Watford correspondent. And we are back on this midweek edition and David Walker is alongside me. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. Not so chirpy now, are you? Yeah, Rad. All we need to do now is beat Crystal Palace by 25 goals to nil. Uh, hope Leeds, Ellen Road burns down and, and aren't able to fulfil their fixtures. And, and we're still in with a chance, aren't we, Ad? <laughs> Well, yes. Hello, Mike. Mike is also on the show. It's great to have you on board. How are you doing, lads? Now, look, it's great to be alongside you, but let's let's just let's just deal with that that positivity. And I know it was a, it was a very 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 long shot, but after that first half at Vicarage Road against Burnley, I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to get back on the podcast when we're going to be, oh, we're still in it, lads, we're still in it, lads. And then just by the end of it, I think the only comment I put on the um, post-match discussion for The Athletic (laughs) were the letters WTAF at full time. I just thought, how have they managed? How have they managed to do that, you you bunch of wrong-uns? What are you doing? I saw a friend of the podcast, uh, Ollie Wicken, at at half-time, and he he made that sort of similar thing. He went, yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, he said, I don't see how we're going to lose this one, really, but Burnley aren't offering much. And I pointed at, at the pitch and I said, just watch and walk back to my seat. <laughs> uh, and we just, uh, uh, after 95 minutes, we just exchanged knowing glances as we passed each other on our way home. Just catastrophic. And uh, we're over it now. We're upbeat. All right, Adam, your nonsense. We don't need to listen to any of that anymore because it's all, it's done and dusted, isn't it? Even by, even for for you. I just felt so sad for everyone on on Saturday afternoon. All the fans, I thought they, I mentioned it on Saturday, I thought the crowd did a reasonable job in the first half of trying to be upbeat, trying to get behind the side. It was a decent atmosphere, all things considered. The sun was shining. And like you say, Ad, for a minute there, it felt like, yeah, this is all right, you know. Our team's playing okay. They did did well. And then for it just all to, to collapse in front of us, I just felt sorry for all of us. Anyone with Watford in their heart, I just thought, oh, we don't deserve that. But anyway, onwards. I'm going to Palace on Saturday. The kids have decided they want to go. They want to stare relegation in the face. And and I'm quite proud of them for that. I I remember when we lost to Palace in the playoff final, I made myself stay behind and watch Palace lift the the trophy because I thought, well, when we have that success, I want to be able to remember this and to remember the tough times. Uh, because I know good times will come again for us. And I think uh, we find ourselves in a, in a similar situation. So little rallying cry at the start of the podcast. If you are going to Selhurst Park, we're going to get our noses rubbed in it because uh, Palace will take great glee in, in relegating us. But I think we need to, um, yeah, just, just go with a spring in our step, face it head on. On we go. I think that's good, and it is brave to be to be going to Selhurst Park on Saturday because yeah, I would expect it to be a pretty uh, grim afternoon. I'm going to Florence at the weekend. Oh, are you, darling? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the way to do it. I'm taking a leaf out of Mike's book, getting as far yeah. away as I possibly can. Good lad. But I've, seen, I've looked at the weather forecast. It's going to be he's going to be actually chucking it down all weekend. So ah. when it rains, it does indeed pour. Oh, no. So you might be forced into a bar where they're going to be showing <laughs> Watford against Crystal Palace. Uh, I'm at a wedding, so I, I think, oh, right, I think the ceremony will probably be around three o'clock, actually. So I'll be blissfully unaware of anything going on. Jolly good. Right. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad you're going to be having a nice a nice weekend. Like Mike, I will be at a Selhurst Park and watching. Going back to what you said there, Mike, about feeling sorry for everyone at Vicarage Road. I actually, and it was it was a weird sort of dynamic. I felt sorry for the players as well, in a way. And the fact that they actually all got together and they all seemed to be on a on a three line whip to, you know, to applaud the the crowd and they seemed to be dialed into the fact that this was a big day and they needed to try and deliver but i don't necessarily think it was it was their fault it felt like there was inaction and mistakes made in the dugout and obviously roy hodgson was was unwell ray lewington was was the man sort of trying to sort of g them up but then after the game and i spoke to ray after the game in the press conference and i basically asked him why did you not make any substitutions why did you not do it 
And he said, well, we didn't really necessarily want to shut up shop and, you know, I, I couldn't really get them to be pressing higher and stuff like that. And I thought, that's what you're there for. That's what you're supposed to do. What the hell happened? So we'll talk a little bit more about that and we'll talk about the, the relationship, if you can call it that, uh, that Watford fans have had over the past 15 games or whatever it is with, with Roy Hodgson and this, ultimately this, well, I don't know what to call it. It was it, There was no bounce, whatever the opposite of bounce is. It's a deterioration, really. A thud. A thud. A new manager a thud. thud. Yeah, if you imagine a, a, a Sainsbury's carrier bag stuffed full of hammers and wrenches just being dropped off the top of a tower block, that's kind of about it, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, lovely imagery on this podcast. I do like it. I do like it. We'll we'll discuss the sort of the, the connection with Roy Hodgson or or not, and we'll maybe compare it to some of the other Pozzo appointments. But I think everyone is looking forward to next season. Not actually looking forward to it, but having to look forward to it and looking to the horizon and who is going to be in charge next season. And I released a piece on the Athletic in the last twenty four hours regarding some of the 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 homegrown names that seemingly are on the uh, the radar of Gino Pozzo and co in the hierarchy. And I wanted to just maybe just highlight some of those names and then maybe just have a little bit of a discussion about why there is that appeal to um, a homegrown manager, especially for, for Watford fans. But let's kick off with, with that article. And basically, as I understand it, the... The hierarchy at Watford are are basically finalising their research, their due diligence, and then there'll be a shortlist drawn up, and then hopefully there will be interviews taking place with those managers that are available next week. So even though we'll have a game against Everton midweek on the Wednesday, it's almost irrelevant what's happening on the pitch. It's the it's the exchanges that are going to be happening in you know probably at the Grove or at some sort of fancy hotel somewhere up and down the country, wherever, with the hierarchy and with potential candidates that is going to be far more important. And some of those names in there, you know, there's been lots of next manager odds lists, you know, on on bookies, on uh, on betting sites and things like that. And and John Eustace has been top of the top of the list for, you know, a couple of days. He was someone that I did mention at the beginning of last week, I think it was, as being someone who is, is you know, admired by the hierarchy. And that dates back all the way back to, to 2013. I don't think they admire him quite as much as as Mike Parkin, who's, mm. whose man crush on John Eustace is... I mean, the, there was no need for a, a restraining order to be put in place, was there, at any stage, Mike? Twice. <laughs> but the ferocity of my passion for, for John Eustace, I think, could drive him on... I think it's worth about six points already. Yeah. Such, such is the sort of... I don't know how to, to describe it, the intense sort of aura that I give off whenever um, John Eustace is even mentioned, let alone in the vicinity, would be enough to sort of power Vicarage Road and the fans and the players onto quite magnificent things. So, yeah, restraining order number three could well be on the way, judging from what I've just said out loud in public. <laughs> why, do you, why do you, in particular, because a lot of fans will, will think that, and my, my own personal view on, on the, you know, potentially having John Eustace in charge, I, I, I would be quite excited by it and you know I've had a little look into his managerial career before and you know he did great things at Kidderminster he played a great style of football he was bringing through uh, younger players and then he's been learning on the job behind Steve McLaren at, at QPR and then Mark Warburton uh, also at QPR had a little spell in charge in, in the middle of the two managers he's also got the job as an assistant for the Republic of Ireland as well and you know a lot of people have said that he is you know, a great up-and-coming coach. Why does he, in particular, excite you and, and that connection? What really struck a chord with John Eustace and, and, and you, Mike? Well, when he was when he was a player, Ad, I think it was his role as as captain, and he felt to me like he was a a captain in the truest sense of the word. In as much as every time he took to the field, you knew exactly what you were going to get, which was a hundred percent. He was all action. He'd be talking to the the players. He and he understood his role. He'd get in the ear of the of the referee as well. So anything he was able to do to the benefit of the team, it always seemed like he was. 
he was doing it. He, he was fully, fully committed. He did it with a smile on his face. He obviously had a sense of humour, a little bit about him. And he felt like a, a character who was committed to the football team, for the football club. I loved. Obviously, that's not without even going into how white his teeth were, how handsome he is, how good he looks in yellow, all that sort of stuff. But the on-pitch stuff, I think he was... 100% committed and I believed in him completely. He felt like as a as a flag bearer for Watford, I couldn't have chosen anyone better at that time. And he, he, it felt like he represented me as a supporter. He was going to do his best from a footballing point of view. He was going to get stuck into the opposition, not let, let them take any any liberties. And he'd, and he'd do the little dark arts with the, with the ref. It was a 360 degree sort of approach and he, he ticked every box for me as a, as a player. And that's kind of why I'm also a little bit trying to say a little bit removed from him when we talk about him as a head coach, because being a head coach now and being a captain at the time he was, they're two very, very different things and they require two very different skill sets. But so I'm trying not to get too carried away from why I love John Eustace then and what we would need from him now. The one thing that really does excite me about the potential of John Eustace stepping into a, a managerial role, and obviously I mentioned before that he was in charge at, at Kidderminster, it is not what he did there. Although it's it's very difficult to know exactly how much influence John Eustace had at QPR, the fact that he did similar things in terms of implementing a, a great style of football at Kidderminster, and then you saw that also at QPR, does suggest that someone who is is obviously going to be on the on the training ground a lot and and doing a lot of the sessions he had his he had his sort of impact on how QPR played football and when i saw them play last season against Watford i was really impressed with them obviously at home at Loftus Road um they played really good football and they've got some nice tricky little players as well which which obviously helped that and then when they came to Watford they played with you know great confidence and they they won and that was when you know it was looking a little bit dicey for for Shisco Munoz at, at that period of time. So it is an exciting link that Watford have with with John Eustace, and I think it's that that feeling that you know he knows the club, knows what it's about, and maybe might be able to just sort of shape it into something a modern a modern homegrown model. Having seen that initial. Um, Italian takeover come in and, and obviously he left very very early but you know he's he's seen it he's been at games and, and things like that so I, that is one that does interest me there are a few other names which I'll discuss in a moment well I think add a number and Mike a number of the things you said there whilst they make sense to me and I don't disagree with them necessarily I think however my fear is a lot of them is wish a lot of them will, will eventually become wishful thinking because it doesn't matter whether John Eustace or uh, Liam Richardson, Russell Martin, Liam Manning, Rob Edwards, the other names in your piece, any of them, how good football they play. It doesn't matter if John Eustace knows the club and has a feeling for the club. You know, we can go on talk about that later, whether that whether that matters at all. Because you just said you just said a phrase there, Adam, that, which struck out at me. It was can he be the person that shapes the next era at Watford? And is he is any of the coaches going to be given the opportunity to shape anything? I may sound like I'm repeating myself from previous weeks here, but I still don't have the confidence that Gino Pozzo, maybe Scott Duxbury as well, are going to run the club sufficiently differently to allow a incoming head coach to really put their imprint on the team and the club at large. I might be proven wrong. Some of the noises that you've been making in your pieces, Adam, from talking to people you know, with knowledge and connections to the club maybe suggest that they are moving more in that direction, which would be great. But I'm still, I'm sceptical. I think you're underplaying the value of getting the right person in in that regard, Dave, because whether John Eustace is the, is the right person or, or isn't, I was looking at the odds the other day and Gareth Ainsworth was on the, on the list of, of names. Now he, I'm pretty certain he's not going to be in the frame for the, for the job. But I go to Wickham quite a lot for for work with with Opta, and so I've seen what Gareth Ainsworth has done at Wickham Wanderers, and what he's done, he has he has probably hasn't got much say on the budget. He probably hasn't got much say on how much they spend on players or on equipment and facilities. But what he has done is facilitated an incredibly tight group of players that are probably performing better than the the sum of their parts. He's got the fans on side with with the way he 
he talks and with the attitude he instills in the in the players, he's created a huge team, club and fan ethic that is just a, a, a sense of togetherness that whenever you go to Adams Park, it feels like anything's possible. They're taking on teams like Sunderland and, and, and Bolton, Pompey, Sheffield Wednesday, players, teams that are bigger than them. And it feels possible because of what he has instilled. And that, I think, is down to attitude and application. He doesn't necessarily need an amazing uh, relationship with the, with the chairman or owner to do that. And I think that's the same for other, other managers or head coaches that come in. And I think what you would expect is that any head coach worth their salt coming into Watford would see it as a massive opportunity, but would also see it come in with their, their eyes wide open and they would want to put their, their imprint on it. And they would see the way to, to get that success is to do that, is to mould what they can into being as successful as possible. And I think attitude and application. What what can they mould? What have they got to mould? Because the players that we've got at the moment, and of course this can change in the summer, but if we're talking about bringing in a, bringing in a progressive manager who wants to play good football, some of, those play, some of those managers, in particular Russell Martin and Liam Manning, are extremely committed to playing out from the back. I mean, when was the last time you saw Ben Foster hit play a short goal kick doesn't happen goes long every time not on purpose anyway the last time he did it it led to a it led to a goal and a meltdown at Wolves well, at Wolves yeah says. exactly <laughs> but like we, we don't have we do not have a squad capable of playing that style of football none of those defenders are that good on the ball and none of the midfielders want to come and get the ball. That's been a problem all season. This this squad is not capable of being a progressive, playing through the thirds squad at the moment, unless something dramatically changes. And again, they can address that in the summer. They can sort out recruitment, etc. Something is going to change, Dave. Of course, and that's the quality of opponents. It's going to be a, it's going to be a very very different season next season. And if it is a, I, I do understand what you're saying, and I, I do understand the concerns. But I think any coach has to be able to. Sean Dyche is another one, for example, gets the best out of everything. And I know you're talking, I'm talking broader and you're talking a little bit more narrow and yours is probably more... But that club was built in his image. Yeah, agreed. But what he does is he gets absolutely everything out of everyone that he's got. And that has to be a minute, you know, have any of the, the head coaches that we've had this season, Cisco probably had the the ear of most of them more than any of the others. But Ranieri and Hodgson, are they really squeezing the pips out of everything mm. that we've had at our disposal this season? No. Are they getting coaxing the, the best out of them? They, whatever, whether that's an arm around the shoulder, whether that's a disciplinarian, whether it's tactics, whether it's training sessions, whether it's... Are they doing that? I would say no. So I think any any manager that comes in has to have that approach and has to have the will just to, to, to force it upon them because they can't they won't achieve w- without it okay like fair enough but just to um just to come back to the original point about John Eustace then before we talk about some of the other names I suppose my concern with John Eustace would be purely uh, on an experience level now John Eustace could could get the job at Watford and could be brilliant. He could become the next big thing in management, go on to bigger and better things, get us playing amazing football, unite the club, the fans would be behind him. In that respect, him being a former player and him knowing the club would be a benefit. But he could also be terrible because we've never seen him we've never seen him manage in the football league. We've never seen him manage at this level. I think it's you know, his football is littered with with promising assistants who haven't been able to step up and be the number one guy which isn't to say that John Eustace isn't capable I was reading I read the piece that Luorn's put up on Twitter earlier on which is very interesting basically just kind of highlighting some interviews that Eustace has done in the past in terms of when he talks about his philosophy and his coaching and his training methods all look really good the stuff from Kidderminster sounds like he played he had glowing reviews for his football at non-league level and it looked great there's loads of positives there he's John Eustace as well we all love him he's great mm-hmm. in, in the pros and cons column there'd be a pretty big tick against the cons saying hasn't managed in the football league before because I, I I just feel like we need a safer bet it would be a punt and it might and, and Gino likes to take a punt evidently so maybe he will go down that route but I would prefer somebody with a little bit more recent experience at doing something impressive and being being the main man I think you're right I think that there is there is very a uh, very different skill set from being a, an assistant to being a manager so that would be you know, a step into the unknown like that 
sort of um, scene in Lord of the Rings where they have to sort of take that step into the, the bridge that doesn't exist and then, oh, and they land and they're okay and they get across and it, and it does all work. And everyone would hope that that would be a scenario that would unfold with John Eustace if it were to happen. But he isn't the only name, you know, in the mix at the moment. And as I said in the in the piece, this isn't at the point whereby they know exactly who they're going to go for and these are just names that are floating around it feels as if there has actually been a proper process that has gone through and they've looked at some of the the young up-and-coming managers you know right down to league two the likes of rob edwards at forest green rovers who has has done very well he's previously had um academy roles at, at wolves he also had some managerial experience at telford he had a development role at the fa managing the England under 16s but he has stepped into this role at Forest Green Rovers and like you were saying there Dave you know although it is at league league 2 level he has got something to show for it he's the league 2 manager of the year he's won a promotion he's he's had those sort of thoughts of I need to lead this group to something he's a, a, a I really like Forest Green Rovers I, I think it's a a very very interesting concept not simply because they are into sort of being vegans and vegetarians and all that sort of stuff in terms of a sustainable football club and doing the right things i really like it and i, I just i just think that it would be quite a leap for from in terms of um identity and culture to move from forest green rovers into into Watford, which is struggling to to find that, but it might be. It'd be like, like leaving actually... the Shire and coming, turning up at Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a great shout. Yeah, it is. But look, he's got in terms of football, and you know, let's 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 be honest about this because you know sometimes we overcomplicate things. But effectively, for a football coach, the things that you see on the whole most of the time is a training pitch, and the training pitch is pretty much the same. If you can get your cohort to you know run around the cones a bit get fit and pass the ball around you can do well that's what you see and then you see them playing on a football pitch and not that much changes obviously it would be a huge step up to move up to the championship level but he has been in around those surroundings before in his career he's you know played international football as well he is someone that they will have looked at that's league two level you know the likes of um, Liam Manning this is an interesting one for me because if they want to strike while the iron's hot and there's going to be competition for these managers that have done well winning promotions like Liam Richardson as well at Wigan, there is going to be competition from other clubs. If they want to strike while the iron's hot and get one of the guys that's already won promotion, then it would look unlikely to me that they would wait to see what maybe might happen with MK Dons if they were to win promotion. They've got, you know, the two semi-finals against Wickham and then the final is on May the 21st. So that would be waiting quite a long time. And, the, the, you know, the advantage that often we talk about when you win promotion via automatic promotion over those in the playoffs, it, it also works the other way around. When you're relegated, you don't want to almost put yourself in a situation where you've waited around for, for no reason when players' contracts are being talked about. And obviously, in this case, a manager. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it all pans out. But and the one thing that I wanted to ask, you know, both of you, we may well sort of head off into various different directions with this question, but I think it is very important. Why having a, a homegrown manager appears to be more attractive, even if they are inexperienced? It's not. It really isn't. And I think the interesting thing about the conversation about a head coach is no one knows how it's going to pan out. So there is no right decision until you hire the head coach and he does and he does really well. And of course, taking that to its logical conclusion, it doesn't matter whether the person is, is homegrown or not. So I don't think for me personally, it's, it matters. What I want to see is swift, decisive action and a backstory if you like a set of uh, a rationale that can explain that 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 appointment we've looked back um, I think it was uh, Vic Bate the wonderfully named Vic Bate on uh, Twitter who did who ran through the recent hires and fires of, of the Pozzo regime and sort of rated them on how random they were effectively and when you look back there have been a couple quite a few left field appointments what I want is a is a is a real watertight argument for why we've got this well two of the most left field appointments won promotion to the premier league yeah of course yeah yeah uh, 
so th- that's that's what I want. Why why is homegrown coming up? I think it's a comfort thing. I think when you talk about MK Dons, when you talk about Wigan, when you talk about I don't know uh, McKenna at Ipswich has been mentioned. They're barometers, they're yardsticks at which you can you can judge. Right, okay, I get what League One's about. I know what he will have had to have done to succeed there. The terms of reference are are more accessible. And and to be frank, I think that's probably what it is. You know, John Eustace, he knows the club. Well, what actually does knowing the club mean? And what, as Dave said, what does it actually give you in terms of having to perform, getting a team out of the championship? It probably doesn't mean much because the club, Watford he knows is, is very different to the Watford it is now. So I think it's probably, as a supporter, quite a basic, that, that terms of reference, you, you, you understand who they are quicker, perhaps. I think there are there are some sort of primal instincts in there where people maybe do feel more comfortable with someone they can relate to easier easier somebody maybe you know obviously has a better grasp of of the language and can communicate more expansively and that's all fine I understand that I think some people probably take that those urges a bit too far at times but ultimately the bottom line for me has to be that we've made too many wrong appointments and I've, I've said this before plenty of times, but we have to get this one right. We've had to get other appointments right, and we haven't. And look what's happened. We need to get this right. And we've got a chance now, I think, to hopefully use this relegation as a sort of cleansing period, right? Draw a line under it, and let's try. And it, it's it, it, the 10-year anniversary of the Pozzos comes at a nice time. You've had 10 years. You've had more of those years in the Premier League than out, but you now find yourself back where you started effectively 10 years ago so so reflect get this appointment right and i don't i don't care whether whether this guy has managed in england or abroad but what i do care about is that they as mike said at least appear to be the right man for the job when you talk about some of the names from abroad like fabio cannavaro for example i think there are legitimate questions about how does managing in the Chinese Super League prepare you to manage in the Championship? Now, I don't want to dismiss his record or anyone else's record that we've been linked with outside these shores, but I think there are some legitimate questions there to ask. I think if you're looking at somebody like Russell Martin, who has managed for a season in the Championship with Swansea, he was previously at MK Dons, but he's finished 16th in the Championship with Swansea. Not an amazing season, but has drawn plaudits for the style of play that his team Uh, displays week in week out but one of the benefits of him being there is that he has direct experience of the teams that you're going to be playing against of the players that he may want to bring in from his club or from other clubs that he's seen it's an easier should should be on paper an easier smoother transition because whoever comes in and this is again my sort of concern with John Eustace I want them to hit the ground running I don't want someone who has to learn on the job I don't want someone that has to learn the language and do that whole process because it, you know, we can all people can say, oh, yeah, but you can get by and football is a sort of universal language. No, of course, if you know, look at Walter Mazzari, the bloke couldn't speak a word of English. He was a great tactician with a great record, but ultimately it failed. And that was one of the primary reasons. So I don't care whether necessarily whether they're from I don't care necessarily where they're from. But I do want someone who's ready. And I think you're probably more likely to find someone that's ready closer to home than further away at this moment in time. I agree with that. And I think also one thing that we haven't spoken about is that a lot of these um, potential managers, homegrown managers, will have come through traditional football pathways as well, having been developed at a football club, maybe got their chance as a youngster at the club that they spent years at. And if there is going to be a slight slightly more sort of welcoming approach to promoting younger players. Maybe they might be fringe players, peripheral players, maybe not directly from the academy, but hopefully that will happen too. If they are able to sort of open their arms um, and, you know, potentially be open to throwing in a few youngsters and helping them develop over a, a slightly longer period of time, then I think that that is an important element. But also on the other side of things, If you're expecting a manager to give younger players a chance, the most important thing, and this comes back to the whole Pozzo approach, you have to also give that manager an opportunity to maybe hit a few bumps in the road and, you know, back them and show faith in them. 
And if you do look at it as well, Watford will come down into the championship with, they obviously need to make some alterations, but a, a strong squad, uh, a big squad and players that should be good enough, even if you have got a manager learning on the job like Vladimirovich or, or Shisko Munoz to carry you through. So hopefully it could be a marriage um, made in in a good place rather than a little bit of a difficult place, which we've experienced with Roy, Roy Hodgson, which I think it's about time we, we talked about Roy for a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. Just a reminder before we talk about uh, Roy Hodgson and uh, the current malaise, if you do want to read about the potential new managers for next season, uh, head to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you can pick up our latest deal there. Now, what I wanted to do with with Roy Hodgson and, you know, this podcast is going out on Thursday. We're going to be speaking to to Roy a little bit later on. I'll be doing a Q&A on The Athletic um, after that press conference because I think there's a few things that need to be spoken about with Roy at that news conference regarding how, um, firstly, and on a, on a human level and on the, probably the most important level, how he's feeling. And I know that hasn't been much warmth towards Roy Hodgson, but when you see someone clearly struggling with their health as he was on Saturday, wearing those dark glasses and, and things like that, hopefully he's recovered because I know he had an appointment at the at Buckingham Palace to pick up his CBE for his services to football so hopefully he he is he is back to to full health but on a footballing tip it was a very difficult watch as we as we spoke about a little bit earlier on on the on the pod um regarding his lack of decision making and and also that of Ray Lewington uh, in just allowing Burnley to to keep on taking territory, forcing Watford back deeper and deeper and deeper, and there seemed to be no real game management whatsoever, which was which was hugely disappointing. Now, you know, we've obviously reached the point now where Watford are, are going to be relegated, uh, barring a mathematical miracle, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know, we have to sort of maybe just try and assess. You know, we're talking about Gino Pozzo going down the homegrown route. This has been a, a homegrown failure that he has seen but seemingly he is still uh, content to go down that path i wanted to try and because i think it's important like you were saying earlier on mike about you know staring relegation in the face staring crystal palace in the face when you know they won promotion in in 2013 and seeing it and feeling it and understanding it and letting it wash over you i wanted to just sort of try and work out in the list of watford managers 
where Roy Hodgson ranks in terms of his, I guess, warmth rating felt by the felt by the fans and, and maybe pull that a little bit apart because if you look at it it has been a, a very difficult relationship pretty much from the from the very start probably due to his his honesty and his frankness about the situation which at, at first appeared to be quite refreshing and I think we all commented on the fact that you know he was being honest he was you know he was calling a spade a spade it was it, it, you know we were in a relegation scrap and we were likely to go down but if he could do something about it and get them playing and it would be a slow burn then it might work but that slow burn just fizzled out it never really never really sort of caught caught fire at all along the way there were a few words you know towards the fans and his performances that he was serving up at home never really never really sort of felt on message there seemed to be no sort of strands of trust or love from the from the stands to the to the dugout what was your what's your feeling on it mike ultimately he's presided over a record breaking and an unwanted record breaking run of form hasn't it we cannot stress enough that Watford have lost 11 games in a row at home which is which is a, a top flight record which is extraordinarily bad and he will when you think about Roy Hodgson and Watford, he will be forever linked to to delivering delivering that. I think, and then when you take on board exactly what you said there, Ad, I think there was that very very first interview, wasn't there, on YouTube when he talked about not really getting to know too many of the people there, and he obviously wasn't bothered about meeting the staff. And we said, that's great. He's getting down to business. He's focused on football. He's got a difficult job to do. Let's let him get on with it. But if you combine the football that's been served up at Vicarage Road and with the slightly prickly demeanour that he has maintained throughout his, his, his career as Watford head coach, you could be the biggest Watford, uh, Roy Hodgson apologist in the land, but you aren't going to persuade many Watford fans that this is anything other than, quite frankly, an unmitigated di- disaster. I agree. I probably am up there in terms of being one of the biggest Roy Hodgson apologists in the land. And, and, and you're quite right. Even I can't really defend his tenure, to be honest. There's something about him that, that I do find, I have found endearing in the past, but you, but you can't be blind to some of his perceived shortcomings. And I think we've seen, we've seen the worst of him, really. And, and I said this at the time when he came in, I think he is obviously, if you look at his track record, it, it has taken him time to sort of get teams going in the past. It took him a little while at Fulham, at Palace and at other jobs. And he was never going to have that time here. And he, he knew that as well. He was very open about that when he did that first interview. Him and Ray knew it was, time was against them from the, from the start. And so it's proved to be. But we just haven't seen enough. We just haven't seen enough from his team. He hasn't, endeared himself to large parts of the fan base and I think it was evident on Saturday when Ray Lewington did some of the post-match media how different that sounded and Roy is very matter-of-fact and he gives you a straight answer to a point he sometimes sort of willfully misunderstands questions and doesn't always sort of read between the lines or read the kind of the essence of what you're saying he'll just answer the question in a very matter-of-fact way which could come across as a bit prickly like you said Mike almost as almost as a distance like you said Adam at the beginning like it's almost sometimes like he's what he's watching games as a supporter or or as like a, an observer rather as opposed to being the manager and sort of forgetting that yes, you, you're telling you're telling me why we lost Roy, but why didn't you do anything about those things that you've observed? Which isn't to sort of doubt his footballing now sort of experience and his career that speaks for itself, but it just hasn't worked, and it's a shame because I thought when he came in that maybe there was a hope that he would get us more solid. Which I suppose, in his defence, you you could say purely statistically he has done in terms of we have kept more clean sheets. The away record's been okay, but the home record's been absolutely appalling, and. Unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be a really sour note to a very distinguished career for Roy Hodgson. I do think some of the abuse has been unfounded. I think a lot of it has felt quite personal, which I think is, I will go on record as saying I find that quite unreasonable yeah, and I agree. 
and appearance, you know, people, he was clearly unwell on, on Saturday and people taking the mick of how he was looking. There's no need for that at all. And I think that that's just nonsensical and, and poor from people who choose to um, choose to attack him from, from that side of things. This record will, will probably never be beaten. Hopefully, certainly never be beaten by Watford again. And I think in terms of, if we're looking at the Pozzo regime, I think it's between him, Ranieri and QSF, the second coming as to who was the most ineffective head coach or the most disappointing appointment. And I think because of that record, I'm with you, Dave. I like him for a lot of reasons, and I quite like that he can be prickly sometimes. It's, I quite like the idea that he doesn't necessarily suffer suffer fools. He's, he's, he's earned the right to sort of be the way he is. I, I've got a lot of time for that. But ultimately, you know, is he the worst hire? of the of the of the Pozzo era and if you look at 11 home defeats in a row not all of them in as part of his tenure but there's just the way this season has has panned out it's got to be got to be close hasn't it and i was going to sort of pick you up when you started to pin this run on him at the beginning yeah, yeah. there mike but you know he has had more of those defeats than than Claudio Ranieri had. He's had six defeats out of those 11 so far. He's still got two more to add to his tally. Um, <laughs> and, okay, well, let's find out in terms of you two. You can take it in turns. I'll be the, I'll be the quiz master. In terms of ranking him against all of uh, Watford's Pozzo-era managers or head coaches. Um, so we'll start with um, ones that they've appointed. We'll start with, with David. You can, you can go with Gianfranco Zola. Do, do you rate... Gianfranco Zola higher or lower than, than Roy Hodgson? Bit of okay, a price is right situation. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Um, so is Gianfranco Zola higher or lower than Roy Hodgson? He's obviously higher. Obviously. Higher. By, by, okay. some, by some distance. Okay, Mike. Uh, Giuseppe Sanino. Uh, by dint of his monogrammed cuffs on his uh, wonderful attire, I think Beppe Sanino is a better hire than, um, the, than Roy Hodgson, I think. Yeah. And he he connected with the connected with the fans in in a very vociferous way as well. Mad as a so, box um, of frogs. I think yeah. we were top of the Mad league. Were we top of the league when he left? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was yeah, it was it was a bit of a lawless state at that we're point. Up there anyway. Um, yeah. What about Oscar Garcia? Oscar Garcia. I mean, these these ones are, are difficult to sort of rank against because they came and went before we really had any opportunity to know what was going on. But uh, Oscar Garcia. Yeah, I mean, I think Oscar's like the one with the big asterisk against him, isn't he? Really. Uh, it, it, I'm sorry, Oscar. It wasn't your fault, but I have, I have to say lower because at least we really? have had a few. We have had a few wins under Roy. Was, I think by dint of the the wins away at Villa and Southampton is better than Oscar. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm not necessarily sure sure about that one. Okay. Fine, Mike. Uh, let's go with uh, Billy McKinley. Another one that was circumstances made very very difficult. What I didn't like about undefeated as Watford manager, but but so am I. <laughs> Yeah, but you but you haven't actually managed the team twice like he did. Yeah, well, not far <laughs> off. Only what 180 minutes between us. I mean, come on, touching distance. What I didn't like about that was just the was the and and I know that the club and we have tried to defend it since, but but having to make a change so quickly, brave in a lot of respects because they recognised that they weren't going to continue with Billy McKinley and and did it anyway, and and and, and got rid of him. But I just, it just felt like they're. A, a bad moment in the in the in the journey with um, with the current regime. So I w- would say that at least with Roy Hodgson, there was some method behind the behind the approach, and we we could see what they were try- trying to do with it. Um, didn't didn't result in getting rid of him after two games. So Hodgson, a better appointment, I think, than 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 Billy McKinley. Okay, these next two are probably quite quite nailed on as as hires. Slavisa Jukanovic, Dave. Yeah. Absolutely, higher. One of my favourites. Okay, Kike, Mike, for Mark one. First time round, new sheriff in town. Yeah, definitely higher. Okay, this is an interesting one because obviously hindsight plays a part in this. But Walter Mazzari, Dave. Hmm. I bet they get on actually, Walter and Roy. Talk about their days. Well, they could. Yeah, they could speak in Italian to each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Hello, Walter. Well, I think actually, yeah. I mean, despite some of the some of the issues with with Walter in the end, he kept us in the Premier League. He he delivered yeah. some 
some great wins against uh, Arsenal away, against Manchester United at home. Yeah, so I think he, he was a more successful appointment than Roy Hodgson, for sure. Talking to Troy about Walter Mazzari, he was he was very, very glowing about his, his tactics and his attention to detail. So... Yeah, that that just backs up uh, backs up that call, I think. Marco Silva, who's going to be a Premier League manager next Ooh. season, Dave. I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say higher actually because I know everyone hates Marco Silva and calls him the snake and all that, but I do actually have begrudgingly sort of I do have a I do have a soft spot for him in my heart really because he presided over a few months of football at Watford, which we've never really seen the like before or since. We were we were genuinely really up there for a, for a few weeks at least, looking brilliant. It was all great. Richarlison burst onto the scene and Chalabar before his injury looked brilliant. And it was just everything was everything seemed to be going swimmingly for us. Yes, it all turned sour and it all went south when, when Everton got involved and all that. But... For those three months, I loved it, and it's a it's a time that I look back on very fondly. So I think it was yeah, he's getting my vote definitely higher than Roy Hodgson. Bit controversial this, but I reckon, and this is a conversation for another day. He could be the best hire of the regime because had he stayed, who knows what Watford could have gone on to to do? I remember did we beat Arsenal? And yeah, well, under, under him, minute, yeah. and and as Dave articulated there, we were absolutely purring. And for the first time, I thought, Watford are a Premier League football team. They are a mm. proper Premier League football team. And then, of course, the wheels fell off and it all's gone, hell's gone to hell in a handcart. And we're where we're at and he's where he's at. But in terms of getting the recruitment right and making that decision, it was quite a brave one because he hadn't done loads up until that point. But I think they got that absolutely spot on. So arguably, and this is one for another time, like I say, perhaps we'll take it onto social. Could he be the best decision to hire um, in the in the in the Pozzo regime, Javi Gracia, brilliant for me. Got us to a cup final. Got us playing some decent stuff. Significantly better, uh, higher than uh, than Roy Hodgson. Kike, poor old Mark two. Um, uh, well, actually, yeah, this is one that I think Roy can be in Roy's favour. I think there's not much in it, but I I do think that again, but again, by virtue of those couple of wins that we've had under Roy this time round, and some sort of very very faint improvements in our defensive capabilities, um, and I, and also I think I think Roy gets credit as well for the presence of bringing Ray Lewington back to the club. At least we've, we've I've enjoyed seeing that, and and Roy and Roy's Roy's brilliant through ball in training. All these things. Are much, much, much more enjoyable than anything that happened under Kike second time round. God, a five-second clip that was of him in training is. Uh, oh, even is, if you compare the away ball. days at Man City, Roy wins on that stake. So five-one yeah, beats eight-nil, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah this is true. bald well, men fighting over a comb time. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, let's not worry about Hayden Mullins because you know he was he was in yeah, interim he charge. Yeah. he did pre- he did pretty well to be honest. He did he did yeah, he, he did. did do well. Uh, Nigel Pearson. You got to rank him higher, Mike. Yeah, gave us a gave us a sniff, didn't we? And uh, yeah, I think there were circumstances outside his control that that meant it all went went belly up in the end. But gave us hope, didn't he? Which is more than Roy Hodgson has, unfortunately. Vladimir Ivic, Dave. Vladimir Ivic. Yeah, whilst it was pretty pretty joyless under old Vladimir. I think the only the only thing that Roy beats Vladimir Ivic on is his appearance on Hive Live. That was better than than old Vladimir's when <laughs> poor old Vladimir had to do the Q and A, which which I felt sorry for him to be honest. It wasn't really the thing he was best suited to, was it? But on in terms of in terms of the football on the pitch, we he set he set us up for what we you know he kind of built a bit of a foundation, didn't he? That we were able to build on and then ultimately get promoted from. Okay, right. Let's kick on to the last couple then. Uh, Shisko Munoz, the sunshine, happy, shiny world of Shisko. Mike couldn't be more different in terms of approach and uh, and character, could they? Um, Cisco gave us that wonderful moment in the sunshine, gave us promotion, so he's got that, and he's uh, against his record. Roy Hodgson has got a uh, another rather unwanted record against him. So yeah, Cisco better, higher, and Dave Claudio Ranieri. Now this is a tricky one, isn't it? I think because Claudio Ranieri did at least deliver those two sensational victories against Everton away, the 5-2 against Everton away, and the 4-1 at home to Manchester United, which was indeed our last home victory. However... Yeah, it was the opposition I, in both those games that served Yeah, up those there were circumstances around those games which kind of we were able to take advantage of. And I think... 
Hodgson has been a better appointment than Ranieri because he's been more up for it, probably a bit more dedicated to the cause, has done his best, even though it hasn't worked. I, I, I believe that Roy has really given it everything and Ray Lewington, whereas I didn't really get that impression from Claudio, especially reading some of the things in the press after he was after he left, and even his demeanour, even when he even when he left the training ground, he was just like, oh, doesn't matter, oh well. You know, he didn't really seem like he was really crestfallen or gutted to, to be leaving, was did he? And I think, much like Kike Sanchez-Flores, the second, um, that was the key moment in that season where we got it all wrong and really set our fate in stone. And it was the same with Ranieri this season. That was a disastrous moment in our season. In hindsight, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I probably said it was a good idea at the time, but in hindsight, it was a disaster and he was definitely worse than Roy Hodgson for me. OK, so there we go. Um, yeah, it's not been great under Roy and there have been uh, a fair few. So how many was that that we ranked him above? Three, I think. I think he was ranked above... He was ranked above uh, Kike, second, Claudio and... Um, and Oscar Garcia and Oscar. you gave him as well. Yeah, so four. Yeah, so four. Not too bad. Yeah, well, I think, you know, on the point of, of what you were saying about Ranieri when he left, I did get a little bit of an, an inkling that the excuses had started to come out, not from Roy's mouth, but Ray, actually. And look, I, I, I've got a lot of time for Ray Lewington, and I think he's a, he's a lovely man, and he was speaking honestly as well. But um, I did hear a few things that I thought, well, nah, you could have repaired those things. You were here to try and... Um, instigate some sort of revival and and some sort of um, belief in a in a project and he was coming up with things about you know historically when you come into a club and they've been losing a lot of games they've got a fear factor and all that sort of stuff and I thought well yeah there was also a fear factor at Burnley and they changed their head coach and they've turned into you know a better team than than Man City and Liverpool in terms of results so you've got to sort of own own you've got well no in terms of results in terms of points my, uh, Mike Jackson is 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 really delivering um, in terms of the football played. Yes, they are incomparable. I must admit. However, all you're there is it's a results business, isn't it? It's a results business. You just got to win games at this time of the season, right? Well, gents, look, it's been it's been great to um, go through what is currently under our nose that isn't smelling particularly nice and maybe looking to the future and uh, some some things that may blossom and grow into wonderful things in the future uh, in terms of the next hire of the Pozzo era. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you. And Mike, thank you. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Just any time spent with you is um, is well spent. So, so thanks for having me. But I would like to, before we go, just um, share commiserations with Watford women who were relegated on on Sunday in the cruelest of circumstances. They had to avoid defeat against their relegation rivals, Coventry, and they they shipped a wonder goal in the 96th, I think, 97th minute. A really, really good free kick right at the the end there to send Watford uh, women out of the championship to put a real full stop on what was a, a... Bad, bad, bad weekend for for our beloved football club. Hard to imagine a worse one, really. Double relegations confirmed. But I guess as for us as supporters, it's almost like a exhalation of breath. It's like, right, things have been pretty bad this weekend. We've been kicked in the gut twice this weekend. But what we do know is that football will continue. Watford Football Club will continue and we will all be will be back. Um, we're at a low ebb. Let's use it as uh, an opportunity to regroup on the pitch, off the pitch, um, take a breath, take a break, get ready for what should be an exciting summer and and hopefully a successful season uh, for Watford. So it's been tough, but we won't give up, will we? uh, We'll be back ready for more sooner rather than later. That message of positivity was brought to you by Mike Parkin. I just wanted to confirm that. Mike Parkin, not (laughs) myself, Adam Leventer. I just wanted to put that on record. Gents, thank you very much indeed. If you're going to Selhurst Park, yay, all the best. Best And uh, we will see you after that on the next episode of From the Rookery End. Take care. Cheers. The Athletic.